Good morning, church family. It's so good uh, that we are together this Sabbath, worshiping God and praising His name. If you were here last Sabbath, if you were uh, watching, following this um, special program, you you saw that we we were studying the the parable of the prodigal son. That's a very famous story in the Bible. Everyone knows it, but uh, our traditional interpretation of the the parable has created some problems we have created problems that uh, sometimes we don't even realize but it becomes um, confusing when compared to the other two stories that we find in in the gospel of luke chapter 15 but last sabbath we uh, went through this story not the whole story but we tried to cover almost the first, the entire first half of the story. This story is divided in two parts. And we are now about to finish the first half and we start the second half. The first half has to do with the father dealing with the younger son. And the second half has to do with the father dealing with the older son. And that's what we're going to see this morning. You remember that last Sabbath we, we said that um, the, the, the parable of the prodigal son has lots of similarities with the, the story of Jacob. And that's the story of Israel. Jesus is telling a story to the Pharisees because they accused him of sitting down with sinners and eating with them. That was a big, a big deal for, for Pharisees. They would never sit down with sinners and eat with them. They were very careful with meals. But now is Jesus a scholar, a rabbi, a respected rabbi who sits and eats with sinners. And that's the accusation that comes from the Pharisees. And now Jesus tells them a story saying, yes, you're right. I do sit with sinners and I eat with them. And I will tell you a story, the story of a man who sat down with the sinner and ate with him. And that's the story of the, the prodigal son. We, we are about to see the father sitting with his son to eat a special meal. They, they're going to have a banquet. Now, when Jesus tells this story, he is retelling Israel's story, Jacob's story. And that's the story who gives the community its identity and its name. Now, Jesus takes that story that defines the identity, the name of this community. And now Jesus retells it, retells it and brings a new meaning to this identity, to, to this name, Israel. And that's the story of the prodigal son. But let's uh, take it from where we stopped uh, last Sabbath. And if you, if you have your Bible, if you want to follow or you can check on screen... Uh, Luke 15, I want to take us from, um, back from verse 18. When, when the, the boy, when the prodigal son, when he's uh, preparing his speech, so he's practicing, he's still in the far country, and he's practicing his speech, what he's going to tell his father. And so his speech has three parts, remember? And the first one is, he said, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's the first part of his speech. That was not sincere. Remember, we, we said that Pharaoh also said those words to, to Moses after the ninth plague. But he was not repenting. Pharaoh was not repenting. Neither is uh, the, 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 the younger son here. He's not repenting. He's just trying to manipulate his father. And then comes the second part of the speech. He says, And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That was true. But uh, he doesn't mean it. Not yet. And then the third part of the speech is, Make me like one of your hired servants. That's exactly what he wants. So he says the first and the second thing of, uh, in his, of, the, of, his, of his speech. So he can get the third one. That's what he really wants. He wants to be trained. He wants his father to, to send him to a craftsman who will teach him the skills. And so he can work, earn money, pay uh, his father what he has taken from him pay him back, and then lives his life um, without depending on his father or anyone else. That's what he really wants. So now, uh, when Jesus is telling this, remember that the, Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees who accused Jesus of eating with sinners. And I, I want to point out two things here. When telling this story... Uh, Jesus is addressing two important things that are in the minds of the Pharisees. We don't find them here, but we can assume that. The Pharisees are, when, it, when they are accusing Jesus of eating with sinners, what they are also saying is, Jesus, you are a rabbi, but your doctrine of sin isn't serious. Come on, you eat with sinners. So your doctrine of sin is not serious. Now, Jesus is telling them, you guys want to know how serious sin is for me? It is like a young Jewish man who tells his father that he wishes he would drop dead and who takes his inheritance while his father is still alive and he sells the property, he turns it into cash because that's what he did, we saw last Sabbath. And then he goes to a far country, he lives among Gentiles we know that because he's later working with, with pigs, feeding pigs. And so he lives with the Gentiles. He loses all his money with the Gentiles, among Gentiles. And then he is in need. He's hungry. He finds a job feeding pigs. And he's so desperate that he really wishes that he was a pig so he could eat pig's food. Now imagine the Pharisees listen to this. Wow, that is better than we could ever come up with of a definition of sin. Wow, that's really serious. Is that what sin is for you, Jesus? So yes, sin is something really serious. Now, um, the, the, the second thing that Jesus is doing here is when he tells the Pharisees, what the, the younger son was planning to do here in his speech, the Pharisees probably thought, yes, boy, that's right. That's what you have to do. You, you now go back to your village. You're going to be humiliated. They will drag you to, this, to the to central square. They're going to break the pot, the Kizaza ceremony. Remember that? 
and you'll be cast off, cast out, I mean, uh, of the city and the community. A few days later, you might manage to come to the house, you knock at the door, you will have this embarrassing um, conversation, discussion with your father, you will have to apologize, and, and if your father is willing, uh, he will give you a job or send you to a craftsman so you can learn the skills and you have to work hard and you will pay him back. And that, that's exactly what you need to do, boy. So that's what the Pharisees now um, believe and they might be happy at this point. All right, Jesus is correct. But they don't expect what is coming next. And then that's what we saw last Sabbath. We ended with verses um, 20 and 21. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son, period. What the Pharisees were not expecting is that Jesus was going to show that the Father would present, would demonstrate a costly demonstration of unexpected love. And I want to emphasize each of these words, a costly demonstration of unexpected love. The Bible says the, the boy was still a great way off. And the father saw him and had compassion on him. And then the father ran. We said that last Sabbath that in, here in the Middle East, a respected man, a man of authority such, of, such as this father who owns land, will, will always walk at a slow pace in public. And... If you wear long robes, such as the ones um, people, especially in the past, they, they wear here in the Middle East. You can think of a galabeya, for example. If you want to run, have you tried running with a galabeya? You need to uh, pick up the robe, otherwise you cannot run. And when you pick up your robe, you show your legs. Kids, they, they would do it. They don't care. But a respected man, an elderly man, will never do that. In fact... Aristotle said, a man is known by his walk. Also, Ben Sirach, a scholar who lived 200 years before Jesus, he said that slow pace of the gentleman tells you that he's a scholar. He has his affairs in order, his life is under control, and he never has to hurry going anywhere. And here is this man, this Respected father, this respected elderly running, this respected elder, sorry, running to his son. And the whole village watches it. And maybe half of the village was there because the father is making fool of himself. And the servants, they follow the father as well. We're going to see that because he addresses the servants right there at the edge of the village. That's a costly demonstration of unexpected love that's that costs uh, for the father to make him to make a fool of himself in the story of Jacob we are comparing these two stories right in the story of Jacob 
Jacob comes back with gifts for his family. And he's trying to, uh, to buy his brother off. And here in the Middle East, um, if, you, if you go to a, a far country, if you go to a foreign country and you come back, you're expected to bring gifts uh, to your family. Um, and not only here, in many parts of the world we do that. But, but that happens when you go off in honor. But this boy, he goes off in dishonor. And now he's coming back and he has no gifts, nothing to offer. Different than Jacob, the, the younger son, the prodigal, he's not the one who gives gifts. He's the one who receives it and receives them, the gifts. We're going to see it. So it's costly. Is a costly demonstration. Why is it a demonstration? Because the deepest things cannot be spoken. They have to be acted. The father is not only speaking of his love for his son. He's acting. It's a costly demonstration of unexpected. It, this is unexpected because the boy didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. And his love... Because its nature is love. So it's a costly demonstration of unexpected love. The issue here is not, is not the money. The issue is the agony of rejected love. It's not a broken law. It's a broken relationship. It's not a broken law. It's a broken heart. That's the issue here. And the boy finally understands that there is nothing he can do to solve this problem. The only thing he can do is to accept the grace, the love that is offered to him. The only thing he can do is to accept to be found by costly love. And that's exactly now what he does when he confesses. And now, he's, now he means it. He says in verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Now he means it. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, period. He does not ask the third thing. And then, now we, con we continue uh, with verse 22. But what we see so far is a perfect illustration of God coming down from heaven to earth in the form of a suffering servant with a new name, Jesus Christ, offering costly love. He leaves his throne, his house, which is um, exemplified here in this story. When the father leaves his house, runs towards his son at the edge of the village, humiliates himself. And that's exactly what God does when he leaves heaven, down to this planet, taking upon himself the form of a suffering servant, to offer costly love, to demonstrate, and, we, and he shows that on the cross. Happy Easter. And in Luke 15, chapter 21, now the father says, I, I mean, sorry, 22. And the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the, the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. 
For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. That's the end of the first half of the story. So now all this is happening at the edge of the village. So servants are there. The, in the story of Jacob, we see something similar. Uh, Esau is coming towards his brother Jacob. And he has 400 armed soldiers with him. Ready to beat to beat up Jacob. But that's not what, hap- what, what happens. Now in the story of the prodigal, his father also has a crowd with him. But they're not armed soldiers. They're his servants. And now he turns to his servants and he orders and says, Bring quickly the best robe. So bring here. We're going to wait here at the edge of the village. You go and bring the best robe and you're going to dress him. Why is the father doing that? Well, he knows now that they need to walk back home. They need to cross the village. The son is going to be humiliated. Everyone hates him for what he has done. So the father waits there with his son. They bring the best robe. Probably it was the father's robe, the father's best garment that is brought to, um, to be put on, on, this, on this boy. And now they, they dress him. So they dress him as royalty. And now when they walk back home in their parade, people are going to respect him by the, the robes, the robe, I mean, that he's, that he's wearing. And then the father says, and bring also sandals to his feet. Slaves don't wear sandals, but son wears sandal. And then he says, and bring also the ring. That means a signet ring, this word. And it means that the father is giving him authority to sign documents. So the father now trusts him, trusts the son. So that's a complete restoration to sonship. He's taking him from servanthood to sonship. That's a complete restoration. And now they are ready to walk back home. And then the father asks now that the fatted calf will be killed and he throws a party. And now here's the reason why there is a party. The, the reason why they are celebrating. You know, we usually think that the party is because the son returned but remember last Sabbath we said this word never occurs here in this, in this passage. The, the son doesn't return. That's a theological word in Hebrew that means when someone repents. It's, it's a word for repentance, the word return in Hebrew. But that's not what is happening here. The Bible only says that he goes and comes. The son came. He did not repent there in the far country. So the party is not to celebrate the son's return, but to celebrate the father's success in finding his lost son. That's the reason why they celebrate. Actually, the father says this, um, and I want you to pay attention uh, when the Bible says in verse 24, 
For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is called the divine passive in the Bible. There are 250 of those in the New Testament, in the Gospels, I mean. 250 of those. In the past, the Jews, they would say, avoid saying, uh, using the word God. Whenever, whenever possible, you, you use a passive. So you avoid using the word or the name God. So you don't end up using it in an improper fashion, improper way. And then you might end up breaking the Ten Commandments. So that's why they would use um, this passive, divine passive. And here we find two divine passives. And they are when the father says, For this son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What he really means is, He was dead and I brought him back to life. He was lost and I found him. Because if he says he was lost and is found, who found him? Right? The father found him. Where did the, the father find him? At the edge of the village. So that means that at the edge of the village, he was still lost. Yes, he was. And the father found him there. That's what verse 24 is saying here. And that's why the party... In celebration of the success of the father's costly efforts at winning his son from servanthood back to sonship. That's why they're celebrating. Not because the son returned, but because the father found him. So it's to celebrate the father. And the success in finding the son. Now, the first half of the story begins with a death wish. That's how the story begins. The, the younger son, he asked for his inheritance. And in other words, what he was saying is, I wish you die. Why don't you drop dad, father? Right? That's his wish. A death wish. And it ends, the first half of the story ends with the father saying, This son, this son of mine was dead and I brought him back to life. What a beautiful, what a beautiful way to end this first half of the story. And now we, we turn to the second half. And now is the father dealing with the, um, the older son. You know, um, my father always struggled with this part of the story. I remember when I was a kid, my father would, would always say um, that he, he kinds of um, empathizes With the, with the older, older son. He says, you know what? I think he, he's, he's kind of right <laughs> for what he's saying. And uh, I think part of the problem is maybe because um, uh, there is this traditional interpretation of this story that causes all these problems when we try to understand what's going on here. But that's why this story would be better called the, the parable, the story of the compassionate father and the two lost sons. Because this one is lost as well. And the father is, is trying to find him. So let's, uh, let's take a look now in, in verse 26. 
I mean, sorry, uh, 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. So imagine this, similar to the story of Jacob again. There are many similarities, right? In the story of Jacob, someone starts off in the field and comes back to the house. Here's the same thing. This older son was in the field, and as he comes back home, he hears music. He hears this noise, music and dancing. We don't know what's going on in his mind, but in his head, but maybe he's thinking, wow, whoa, nice, there's a party going on somewhere here. And as he draws near the house, he realized that the noise, the sound, the music comes from his own house. And he's surprised, what's going on here? Of course, what was he supposed to do? He was supposed to go quickly and enter the house and enjoy the party. But he stays outside and he finds a servant. The Bible says servant, but the original word could be translated as servant, servant or even as a boy. So we could also think or assume that he was talking to a boy that was outside the house just enjoying the music and the dancing, right? Because was not, the kid was not allowed inside the house to participate in the banquet. We don't know. It doesn't really matter. But the, the fact is, he asks this servant or this boy to, to tell him what is going on. He asks um, what these things meant. And verse 27 is now the boy or the servant who tells him what is going on and the reason why they're celebrating. He said to him, your brother has come. See, he doesn't say he returned. It says he came, has come. And because, now is the reason why they are celebrating. And because he, your father, has received him safe and sound, your father, your father has killed the fatted calf. So what we find here now is that the, the definition of the, 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 the banquet, the reason for the banquet, is the same as what came out from the, the father's mouth. The reason why they are celebrated is not be, the, because the son returned, but because the father found him. And uh, when, the, when the, the son or the servant says this, I mean, the boy or the servant says this to, to the older son, now, he says, uh, your father received him safe and sound. Now, um, the Jews in Alexandria uh, who translated the Old Testament into Greek, whenever they found this word that, that appears here in this text in the Old Testament, instead of translating it to safe and sound, they would translate it into peace, like shalom. So we could better understand this as if the servant was saying, your brother has come and because he has received him in peace, your father has killed the fatted calf. 
So now the older son knows that there is nothing he can do to change that. The father has made complete, complete restoration from servanthood to sonship. He received him in peace. Now we understand what is happening next. The Bible says in verse 28, But he, the older brother, was angry and would not go in. He was angry and would not go in. Now he is offending his father at a deeper level than the, the younger brother, the younger son. Because now the older son gets mad at his father and refuses to enter the party, to enter the house in front of many people who are there. In front of extended family members and friends. Now in public, he offends his father. The younger son, he breaks his relationship with his father by asking for his inheritance. And the older son is breaking his relationship by insulting his father at a big family gathering. That's what, what is happening here. So what is um, the father going to do? What is going to happen? The Bible says in verse 28, Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Now the father, for the second time in the same day, he must take upon himself the form of a suffering servant and go down and out to find his son. And this is God who comes again, who comes to us in, in human body, in the, in the form of a suffering servant, Jesus Christ, in costly love to win us back to relationship with himself. So the father has to do it for the younger son. He has to do it now for the older son. The same act of a self-emptying love is required for those who break the law and for those who keep the law. For both. And how is the son going to respond? How is the, the older son responding to this costly demonstration of unexpected love? Because the father was not expected to do that. The father would never go out, was not expected to go down and out to plead with his son to come in. But that's what he does. And so what is the son going to do now with this, with this costly demonstration of unexpected love? Well... What we find in, in verse 29 is this. So the son, he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Let's divide this in, into some parts. Look, first thing he says is, These many years I have been serving you, I have never transgressed transgressed your commandments at any time he uses a word here that that means 
his relationship with his father is of a servant-master relationship, not son-father relationship. That's how he understands his relationship with him, as a servant-master relationship. And then he says, Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. What he really wants is the same as the, the younger son. He wants food. The younger son wanted food. That's what he wants as well. I just wanted food. A young goat. You never gave me even a young goat. That I might make merry with my friends. So not with you. Not with my brother. With my friends. My friends are not your friends. And now in verse 30. But as soon as this son of yours came, he, he doesn't um, consider his brother now as a brother. It's just the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. Now is his accusation. Remember we said that last Sabbath. The Bible never says that the boy lost his money with girls. But that's what his brother is accusing him of. He says, you killed the fatted calf for him. Now, look at this. When the, when, when the older son says that the boy lost his money with prostitutes, this is a serious accusation. Because if he could prove that, nobody would give his daughter to marry this boy. And also, according to the law of Moses, he should be stoned. So that's a serious accusation. So at this point, the father had all the rights to say, enough. Enough with this nonsense. I will deal with you later. He had all the rights to do that. And the boy says, you killed the fatted calf for him. No, that was not the reason. You see, our traditional interpretation has taken this part this definition of the banquet instead of the other two. So the father and the servant, they defined the reason for the party, for the banquet, as in celebration, as to in celebration of the father's success in restoring his son. But we understand that the celebration was because the, father, because the son returned. That's what the, the older son said. You killed the fatted calf for him. No, it was not for him. It was for the father. And so now we, we should expect the father to just go back to the, to the party as if nothing had happened and just um, continue with the celebration and then deal with the son, the older son later. But that's not what he's doing. He concludes by pleading for joy. That's what the father does. He concludes by pleading for joy. In verse, 20, in verse um, 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead. And is alive again. 
In other words, he's saying, this is a passive again. For your brother was dead, and I brought him back to life. And he was lost, and I have found him. Now the question is, how is the older brother going to respond to this costly demonstration of unexpected love? Is he going to accept to be found as the younger son did? Will he surrender and just rejoice in being found by costly love? Or will he remain mad outside the house? Well, the story is left open for the Pharisees and for you and me to, to finish. And I just want to conclude with, with two, two things. In this, in this parable, there are many lessons, as you can see. And I want to emphasize now two definitions that I, I've, I've uh, already mentioned during these last two Sabbaths. I just want to emphasize them again. Is the definition of sin and of repentance, according to Jesus. Definition of sin. Sin is of two types. One is sin by breaking the law. That's the one we know about, right? It's the one we all know about. Sin by breaking the law. But the second is a broken relationship while keeping the law. That's what happened to the older brother. And that's what was happening to the Pharisees who accused Jesus. They said, you, you eat with sinners. And Jesus tells them, yes, I do eat with them. And, I, and actually, I do more than that. You're going to be surprised because I not only sit and eat with sinners, but I leave my throne, my house, and I run towards my son at the edge of the village. And I take upon myself the shame and the form of a suffering servant. I'm humiliated in front of everyone. I make a fool of myself so I can restore my son. So I can restore him from servanthood back to sonship. Yes, I do it with sinners and do more than that. So sin is by breaking the law, but is also a broken relationship while keeping the law. And repentance, according to, according to Jesus, is when you accept to be found. That's uh, it's what the prodigal did. The older son is challenged to do the same thing. And the story is left open, right? The broken heart of God becomes visible through Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. We broke the relationship with him. We broke his heart. And this is what the cross of Jesus is all about. Is the broken heart of God becoming visible to all of us. 
The question is, how are you going to respond to this costly demonstration of unexpected love? Will you surrender and rejoice in being found by costly love? Will, will you realize, will you confess that you have broken a relationship while keeping the law? Because sometimes we might be proud of saying, you know what, but I keep the law, like the older son. I am not doing anything wrong. But you might have broke a relationship while keeping the law. But the Father invites you today, especially this weekend that we are celebrating Easter. This is a good time for you to reflect on that and rejoice just for the fact that you, you are found by costly love. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you once again for this costly demonstration of unexpected love. We don't deserve it. When the son says, the younger son says, I'm no worthy, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, period. That's true. That's what each of us should say right now. But because Jesus left his throne and came down to this planet, took upon himself the form of a suffering servant and died on a cross for us. Lord, there is hope for us. Jesus found us. And we just need to rejoice and to accept to be found. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for all you have done. And may your name be glorified and exalted today and for all eternity. In Jesus we pray. Amen.